This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. And thanks also to... The secret to quality fermentation is White Labs. Core strains are made weekly and most can ship out the next day. Order through the White Labs app or yeastman.com. Visit whitelabs.com backslash whitelabs for a new customer special offer. That's whitelabs.com backslash W-H-Y whitelabs. So we basically went through and looked at each step in our brewing process, in our packaging and cellaring, and tried to figure out the concentration of BOD and TSS in each of those waste streams. This week on the show, our friends from PizzaPort are here to discuss their journey with wastewater compliance. My name is Ann Spevasek, and I work for PizzaPort Brewing. I'm the quality manager. And hi, my name is Eric Richardson. I also work for Pizza Port Brewing. Uh, my title is Director of Facilities and Operations. In 2017, you started a project to monitor water consumption and wastewater at Pizza Port. Talk about that project and give us some numbers so we can put things into perspective. Okay, so so we Pizza Port, we at Bresty Ranch, which is the production facility. Um, there are five. We have five locations, but we produce all the beer that go, comes out in cans. We uh, our total beer production is about forty thousand barrels a year. And when we looked at our water usage, we were using about two hundred thousand barrels of water to produce that forty thousand barrels of beer. So, which gave us a water to beer ratio of about five. Um, in the Brewers Association Wastewater uh, Guide, they say that when they surveyed a few breweries, um, on average, I think that the water to beer ratio was more like around seven. So we're actually better than the average and a max of around 12.6. But you could always get better. So I think stone is around um, four. So there's always improvements that could be made in order to lower that water to beer ratio. You know, those really aren't terrible numbers. So uh, um, you guys must have already had a company culture that was at least somewhat committed to reducing water usage before this project with the monitoring began. Right, right. 
we try to be as water efficient as possible. Um, there's definitely, you know, there's always ways to improve, but that's definitely something that we're aware of um, on a daily basis. The state of California recently came out of a seven-year drought. How much has Pizza Port's water cost increased over that period? Ooh, that's a question for Eric. Wow. Throw it right a, off the bat. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know the answer to that question. So I, I personally just started working here at Pizza Port. And we, uh, as part of this journey and process of understanding uh, our impact on the wastewater stream, are learning that type of stuff every day. So I haven't had a chance to compare baseline uh, data from when I wasn't here yet. Um, so we can maybe look that up, John. I can look it up maybe over the course of well, this. How about, can you, do, can you just give me rates? Like, I mean, I, I guess the general point here is that, you know, water costs are only going up for everybody everywhere, right? Right. I would say for us, the motivation for looking at the wastewater was not necessarily the cost of water coming in, but the stress on our municipality in that um, with all the, I mean, the way they put it to us was that with all the water saving um, activities that are done by everyone in the population, like less water is going down the drain and thus their uh, influent is more concentrated. And so it's a bigger deal for them to deal with, especially with us putting a bunch of sugar water down the drain. It makes their, what's coming down on their end, um, you know, more stressful to deal with. You've said that the strength of Pizza Port wa- wastewater is something like four times the population of Bressy Ranch. Comment on that statistic. Well, I th- the average person doesn't put much down the drain at their house besides, you know, cooking and toilet and shower and toothpaste. Um, so the, there's not that much sugar in the water versus at a, as a brewery, that's what we do is we produce sugar water and the whatever goes down the drain is going to be much more concentrated than what the average person produces at their house. So when I calculated out uh, just to compare what the the average strength of water is for a household versus what we were putting down the drain, that's how I got the number that it's a four, it's four times higher than the population of Bressy Ranch, which is the community that we're located in. Okay. Yeah, and I, if I could add to that too, uh, that was a really eye-opening fact for a lot of the brewers uh, and and sellermen that are that are working for us uh, when we showed them this data. You know, trying to put it into some kind of context and to be able to say, "Hey, look, this local region where we all work and live, um, this is the strength of our wastewater compared to an, an average household," um, and and saying four times the population of that area, it, it really started kind of putting into perspective um, just how potent our, our wastewater stream can be and, and the challenges our local municipal, municipality might have in dealing with it. Talk about where your wastewater actually ends up. So this part, I think, was the most eye-opening to me was what happens to our wastewater, which it wasn't until just a couple months ago. We Eric and I actually went on a tour of our local municipality just to see what they do with it when, after it leaves our hands. But it goes, it flows a couple miles down the road to the Encina, Encina Water Pollution Control Facility, where they um, separate out the solids, and then it goes through an aerobic digestion in order to get rid of any sugars um, that are in the water. And eventually, it makes its way into the Pacific Ocean. And they are regulated um, by on what they can release into the ocean, which makes sense because we don't want to be 
polluting the ocean and killing the fish um, downstream of, of our, our the municipality's wastewater control facilities. Um, and so basically, if we give them a high strength fluid, it makes their job more difficult to clean it such that when they release it to the ocean, it falls within their permit levels. And so that's why they started coming down on us. But ultimately, um, as a brewery, it's important for us to to care about our wastewater because in the end, it's affecting our environment. And for Pizza Port, we have um, identified greatly with the surf culture. And so it's important to us that our ocean is clean because that's one of, uh, you know, the one of the values of our company. Makes sense. Um, I'm wondering, I know that the other locations are smaller and, and elsewhere, but do you have um, different wastewater discharge permits or regulations at, at each separate location? Um, yeah, the depending on where they're located. So the city of San Diego, which our OB or Ocean Beach location is located in, they are a separate water district than um, us. I believe Carlsbad Village would be the same. And then one of our locations in San Clemente would be a different one. Um, and I think Solana Beach would be under the city of San Diego as well. But it depends on geographically where that specific facility's wastewater goes. Well, let's hear about uh, some of those permit limits. So for, I'm most familiar with ours. Um, so for, for Bressy Ranch and the Encino Wastewater Facility, we are limited on the what pH we can put down the drain. So it must be between pH 5.5 and 12. For the BOD or biochemical oxygen, oxygen demand, it must be under 500 pounds per day. And for the TSS, or total suspended solids, it must also be under 500 pounds per day. But every municipality is different, so... All right. Have to look, yeah, yeah man, many municipalities will, uh, will permit you based solely off of the concentration of your BOD or TSS. Um, our permitted levels are based on a combination of concentration and total flow rate uh, discharged on a daily basis. So on one hand, it's it's nice. It gives you some levers where you can slow your overall flow rate down on a day where you know you're going to have slightly higher BOD or TSS. Um, but on the other hand, uh, it, it introduces more variables that you have to plan around when, when designing a system to, to kind of meet your needs. Talk about how you deal with meeting those requirements. Let's start with pH. So pH was one of the first... Um, parameters that we set about to control and we did this using batch dumping so we would collect wastewater into a 2500 gallon tank and then uh, adjust the pH and then record that pH and then release it to the sewer and so we would well beer is often acidic so lower than ph 5.5 which is the lower limit of our permit and so we would have to adjust with caustic to bring the ph up so that would it would be in a safe range to release to the sewer and they basically care about the ph because it'll erode the pipes in transit to the the um, treatment facility and so they want to ensure that they don't have to dig up pipes and replace them but, and that's why they they limit the pH. 
solution by dilution is a phrase used in the wastewater industry, uh, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, with the flip side being operations that work toward reducing water usage often find themselves dealing with very high BOD and TSS loads. Was that your experience? Do you have any data from maybe early days? Did you ever test BOD and TSS you know, earlier before your waste stream got more concentrated or no? Uh, no, we did not start measuring BOD, at least to my knowledge, um, earlier. Uh, but I imagine since we were putting everything down the drain that it was, if you looked at a snapshot at a time point during the day, it would have been just as concentrated. Um, but we just started, since we, as we got bigger, we started brewing more days throughout the week that that concentration would just be extended each day for each day that we added for brewing. So instead of, you know, one day being super concentrated, it's five days a week now that it's super concentrated. How did you go about determining the parts of your process that had the biggest impact? So we started looking at or thinking about just what we know that BOD is attributed to um, sugar or organic material in the water, the waste stream. And so we thought about where the highest sugar or organic material was coming out of our waste streams and at what point was it actually going down the drain. So after um, the louder is finished, the brewer will open up the drain and then let all the extra sugar water or wort go down the drain. Um, and so that was an obvious first sign of very concentrated high BOD and potentially TSS um, that we could, instead of putting down the drain uh, side stream and, and uh, collect so that it would help lower our BOD. Um, and then in, in our brewing process, we also will, they'll open the drain after the whirlpool is finished and there's a, a small amount of water that's left in there um, that will go down the drain and in addition to they would spray the whirlpool down to get all the hops out if we were brewing a hoppy beer and that's also another um, another uh, um, source of high BOD high TSS that was going down the drain um, and then we would just winter along so if you go you know after the beer is brewed it goes into the fermenters and the yeast go after the fermentation is finished, whatever yeast is racked out was going just straight down the drain. We weren't side streaming it. And that is another source of high BOD TSS that we could potentially take out as well as hops after we dry hop beer. Um, the centrifuge will spit out hops and troop and yeast. Um, although the volume of that is so low that that wasn't uh, the lowest hanging fruit that we set out to side stream. Um, and then, of course, we always lose a little bit of beer down the drain during out of the bright tank and during packaging. But again, that compared to the volumes coming off the brew house and the fermenters, that isn't something that we immediately began to look at because um, if we need to, we'll do it. But it, the volume was so low compared to the other ones that they seemed like the, the easier uh, targets at first. So did you just go after, you know, what you assumed was low-hanging fruit or were you actually taking measurements throughout the process and determining, okay, this is a, a big area of opportunity? We were taking measurements, um, but then we we also, in order to figure out what to measure as well, we thought about the process and the, the Brewers Association guideline or 
manual for wastewater actually helps to lay this out and gives um, generic numbers that so would help, which helped me to fo focus on what where we should focus our energy and and taking measurements for our own um, process. How close were your numbers to theirs? They were fairly close. All right. Yeah, they matched up pretty well. I, I would just add to that, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that we took a pretty systemic approach once we decided that we wanted to kind of narrow down uh, the process variables that were contributing to our waste stream. So, uh, and started with a, a process flow diagram. We said, okay, what are all the inlets and outlets at each of those process steps? And then had to get very creative <laughs> on the floor to actually collect the data points. Sometimes they were um, jury rigging collection uh, devices, drums with spouts so that we could put them underneath places that were somewhat hard to reach um, just to collect data points, uh, not just related to concentration. That was usually an easier data point to get because it's such a small grab, but the volume released was tough to, to estimate. We weren't going to invest thousands of dollars on flow meters at several process points and stuff to get specific numbers. So we got creative on a low budget to, to um, estimate those values. And as Ann said, um, I think we found at least to the order of magnitude, um, you know, reaffirmed what I'm sure was a much more uh, scientific study from the uh, Brewers Association. Do you have any tips or tricks for others that might uh, want to do the same approach this on a budget? Any, any um, advice you can offer that might save some people some headaches? My, my advice is uh, to get everybody involved that you can. Um, you know, I didn't come up with, with every idea of this project and didn't. Um, it was definitely a team effort. And once everybody kind of understood the goal and and when we brought to them a specific, okay, this is this is the part of the process. We want to know the volume and, and the concentration. How, how can we best get this? Just some really creative solutions came to mind. Um, every brewery is going to be different. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult to give some cookie cutter um, because the process are all built in in slightly different ways, piping diagrams uh, and, and and layouts. But um, uh, for me, it was just once we really got um, the broader team involved, uh, we got some really creative ideas. And, and uh, at that point, it was just legwork to get repeat data points over a number of days to, to feel confident about the numbers that we were getting. Coming up. If you can eliminate high strength waste going down the drain, that will help with um, achieving your permit goals. But the caveat to that is you have to get rid of it somehow. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by Bring the world to your brew house with BSG's diverse selection of ingredients and services. 
Our dedicated customer service team and industry experience provides you with the assistance you need every step of the way. Make BSG your supplier of choice with products essential to making great artisanal beverages so you can stay focused on your craft. Visit us at bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact us at 1-800-374-2739. And thanks also to... Malt Europe Malting Company is a leading supplier of craft malt across North America. As a farmer-owned company, Malt Europe has carefully crafted quality malt from locally grown barley for decades. The result? A portfolio of base, specialty, and distiller's malts that exceed the exacting standards of craft brewers. Learn more and buy online at malteuropemaltingco.com. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewer's calendar. Don't miss the basic lab equipment for your brewery webinar August 8th, presented by our friend John Geritano from Episode 64. District Rocky Mountain meets August 14th at New Terrain Brewing in Golden. Master Brewer's Brewery Systems Technology and Maintenance course starts August 18th in Madison. District Carolina's meets August 23rd at Boonshine Brewing. The 2019 Eastern Technical Conference is in Philadelphia August 23rd and 24th. The District Ontario Hop Field Day is August 24th at Goodlot Farmstead Brewing Company. The Eastern Canada Golf Day is August 29th. The District Ontario Annual Golf Tournament is September 6th. A lot of golf in Canada. District Northwest meets in Bend the weekend of September 7th. The District Ontario Iron Brewer is at Common Good Beer Co. September 27th. New Hampshire Brewfest 2019 is October 12th in Portsmouth. District St. Louis meets October 17th. And the brand new District Georgia is holding its first annual pig roast October 19th at Monday Night Brewing in Atlanta. Registration is now open for the 2019 Master Brewers Conference in Calgary. Be sure to tack on a couple of extra days to enjoy some amazing hiking and make the 45-minute trip to Banff, which is one of the most picturesque places on the planet. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Now back to the show. Did you have to? Did you do any of the uh, BOD and TSS analyses in house, or were you sending those off? How did you? How did you detect that? Uh, all of the analysis, BOD and TSS, were sent off to an outside lab. For the BOD is a little bit tricky because it's a bacterial assay, so they have specific bacteria that they add to the sample and then incubate for a set amount of time. Um, so I think it's just probably easier to send that one out for analysis. And I would echo or also add that. This all, in addition to the Brewers Association manual, we also went and visited Stone Brewing, who dealt with this process or this this issue years ago, and they we got a lot of ideas of as to where the high strength um, waste was coming from by looking at their process and what they decided to side stream. So it's helpful. It's helpful if you have a larger brewery in your area who might already be dealing with this to definitely go visit them and see what they're doing and how they're dealing with the issue. All right. Um, well, I get, go ahead. Sorry, John. One thing that's worth noting, too, is while we didn't do any of the BOD or TSS uh, in-house, once we got serious about understanding what our waste stream looked like, we, we made the decision to go out and purchase uh, COD testing equipment. Um, you know, most people know that COD and BOD uh, correlate with each other pretty strongly. 
And so something that's become a very valuable tool for us is that COD analyzer and taking daily data points, having control charts in place so that we can see how our waste stream is changing over the course of a production day and the production week. And once we had that, um, it, it really helped us uh, kind of narrow in on, on some specific um, opportunities. So if, if anybody's got a uh, uh, an issue like this that they're trying to solve. Um, I think that that type of um, data is, is very valuable and is, is worth the, the couple of thousand dollars it takes to, to get the unit to enable it. And it's a much quicker reading as well. You can get COD readings within the span of a couple of hours versus the, you know, what is it, in three to five days it's to, five to day collect COD. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, five day test. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, why don't you tell us more about the opportunities that made the most sense to go after? So, if you can eliminate high-strength waste going down the drain, that will help with um, achieving your permit goals. But the caveat to that is you have to get rid of it somehow. And so, a lot of these waste streams, you have to pay to have it hauled off-site. And so, in order to balance the cost... You know, achieving your permit levels, but also not paying an arm and a leg for hauling and dumping, you kind of want to, or we decided we wanted to target the lower volume, but highest strength. So we got the most bang for our buck um, waste in order to to side stream. And uh, so, yeah, so we decided to start with the Louder 10, the Whirlpool, and then the hops and yeast after off of our fermenters because those were super high BOD TSS but lower volume compared to what was coming off the keg boy, the canning line and the whirlpool rent or whirlpool rinse which was just when they take the hose and spray the hops out of the whirlpool um, but also the, the the waste coming off the keg boy and canning line uh, was a lower BOD but higher volume which means that it would cost more to have it hauled away and also thinking about how large of a vessel we needed to store all of this um we were pizza port was very limited on space so we didn't have the space or the budget to install massive holding tanks so we needed to be pretty um strategic about what we decided to side stream Got it. That makes sense. I'm sure your side streaming initiatives have evolved. Talk about where you started and talk about what it looks like now. So in the at first, um, we started side streaming yeast and hops off of the fermenters. That was the first thing we did. And we used to give it to a farmer. Um, but then they eventually ran out of places to put it. And so we stopped giving it to them. Um, and now in order after talking with Stone and looking at our whole um, study where we you know, looked at all the different processes, uh, we realized that we need to also, in, in addition to the yeast and hops, we need to side stream off the brew house. Um, and so we're collecting yeast um, separately and then the, the high strength wort off the brew house into a separate vessel that will be hauled off and disposed of. And as for the hops, we invested in a um, a solid separator, and so that we feel pretty confident will be removed before it goes down the drain. Did you start off just mixing uh, the spent yeast and troop into the sp- into spent grains, or were you doing something different? No, the spent grains have always been separate. Um, the 
the farmers who were taking the spent grain mentioned that the the cows don't really like the flavor of the hops, so they did not want it mixed with the spent grain. Um, and it now we have a different outlet for the spent grain, but they also do not want hops mixed with it because it's not palatable to the cows. And uh, they're they just have not a hungry enough. Yeah, or they don't like it's bitter. They don't like the bitterness. Um, they like yeast, but they their our current um, situation we're limited on how much liquid can be in the spent grain, and so we if we wanted to add the yeast to it, we'd have to figure out a way to dewater it a bit before we added it to our spent grain. Um, but the cows do like the spent yeast. Very good. And if then, anybody wants to learn more about uh, spent grains and what you can and can't mix into it, we have a, a great episode on that. It's uh, I think it's 125 with Bill Cromie, and he talks a lot about sort of um, you know what you can and can't do with spent yeast. So that's a, a good one to check out. I'll have to read or listen to that one. <laughs> um, the one other thing is that um, as far as the the high strength waste coming off the brew house, um, Stone actually trucks there high strength waste to or brew house waste to our local wastewater authority because they have anaerobic digesters that use it as food and so we're going to start doing the same with ours which is a nice outlet for that and you're you're helping out your wastewater authority by giving them food to keep their bugs happy so it helps to um make the relationship a little less tense. So do you uh, do you get a discounted rate on that or do they take it for free or how does that work? Um yeah, they take it for free and we pay a tipping fee and so basically all we the majority of what we'll be paying is the hauling fee in order to move it from our facility to theirs. And, and that hauling that hauling fee is much cheaper than uh, it would be to do to some uh, land spread application or something else. So our benefit is overall the cost for disposing it that way is much cheaper than just having an agreement somewhere else. The only other thing I would add is to look at all potential outlets for your side stream waste. Um, I know there's a composting facility nearby that accepts it. So that's another outlet. Um, and then also, there, if you live in a, an area where there's a fertilizer plant, I've read that that's also another outlet. Because uh, if you have to dispose of it at a a normal wastewater facility, they can charge a lot of money. So look at all your options so so that you can have options when uh, when you need to dispose of it. And also, I've heard that Sometimes your local wastewater authority, like for us, Encina won't always take um, the high strength waste because if their bugs have enough food that week, they might not need it. And so it's good to have idea to have backups so you have somewhere to take the waste because as long as you're brewing, you're going to have waste that you're going to have to deal with. All right. Very good. Any, anything else on specifics of side streaming or no? I would say the one thing um, to consider, which seems somewhat obvious, off if you're side streaming off the brew house, is make sure that your piping is rated for hot liquids, because that is something that we didn't necessarily do in the beginning and can cause issues down the line. So yeah. best to do it right from the get go. <laughs> I've had a lot of yeah. fun. So I, I I I am in a little farm brewery. It's very small, so it's you know nowhere near the scale as yours. But similar situation in that you know we're we're basically on a uh, it's essentially a septic system. So you have to be really careful about what you put down there. And uh, you know I I 
uh, can have a dramatic impact on the system by eliminating the yeast in the tube and whatnot. And so I just have like brute trash cans that I, you know, all yeast that comes off the bottom of a cone goes into those instead of down the drain with the exception of like, you know, the tiny little bit that, that gets washed, you know, from rinsing. Um, and then for trube, I had this um, this stainless steel pan fabricated that basically looks like a water tongue screen, and um, I basically put that at the you know at the drain of the kettle, and I basically just dump you know when I'm rinsing out the the tube, I rinse out into that, and it essentially acts like a filter, and you know builds up this tube cake, and the, then I then I can take a shovel yeah. and just shovel that stuff out into into the into the can, and and in my case, I am able to mix all that into the spent grains. Uh, which is really nice. But I, I guess um, the, the reason I bring that up is just, um, you know, stuff's different at different scales. But if you have any other type of, you know, little tips or tricks like that, I think that would be valuable. If you don't, no big deal. I've, I've got one. Uh, so for, for anybody that is considering installing uh, a treatment equipment, one of the big lessons learned for me out of this project was um, we worked with many vendors, multiple vendors on different pieces of equipment and stuff. And uh, every single one of them calculates size of equipment uh, and the tendency is to calculate it based off of averages. And they tend to take long enough periods of time to where um, it'll bite you in the butt if if you size based off of averages. What we found was much more uh, important was to have a very good understanding of our um, maximum generation rates down on a time scale that was much smaller than um, the the contractors and vendors we were working with were calculating. So they're looking at what's your weekly average generation, and that works out to 600 gallons generated per hour. But then if you looked at an actual production day, because we didn't work two to three days out of the week. Um, our actual instantaneous uh, generation rates per hour were closer to 2,000 gallons per hour. And that's a big enough difference to where it caused a lot of headaches um, as we were installing and, and commissioning this equipment. Uh, it's, it's definitely a lesson learned for me to, to understand your, your generation rates and, uh, in, a, in a more instantaneous and size things off of that instead of an average. And I, I would say that that my my only other advice would be um, to not wait until the until you're being pressured. Ideally, you would be understanding the strengths of the different waste streams off of your process, um, and knowing that when the wastewater authority comes to you, you'll already have an idea of what you would what you would do to uh, alleviate the situation. And not wait until us until it's too late, basically. <laughs> How much interaction did you have with your local POTW throughout this process? Obviously, it's an iterative process where you're constantly improving your results. But you know, how what was the what was the relationship like throughout this process? I would say they've been very um, patient and amenable to us. Um, they started fining us more um, and then eventually they called a meeting with us and said, you know, if you don't, if you don't do something, the fines will increase. And at that point, I think it was finally enough to convince the powers that be that they needed to spend the money um, to get us close or into compliance with our wastewater authority. Um, so they, I would say overall, they've been very, uh, patient with us. Um, but I think part of that is that we have tried to 
you know, be as honest as we can with them about where we're at and what we're doing so that they know that we're trying to solve the problem and we're not just completely ignoring them. Were they engaged in some of these initiatives? Like, I mean, did you, did they come into the brewery and where you can show them like, Hey, look, we're side streaming this now. And, and this is the res- impact we think that's having, you know, did they give you advice on any of that stuff or, or, you know, or was it totally would, on you? I would say that they, um, they themselves didn't necessarily, they don't understand the process enough to be able to give specific advice. But what they did do is set up a meeting with stone and say, Hey, look, you guys should learn from them because they figured out how to deal with this problem. Um, so then we were able to, you know, we had a resource for talking to through our issues and figuring out a good game plan. Um, but I would say that overall, they don't, they don't really understand the process enough to give specific advice. But now that we've come up with a game plan, they're definitely very interested in, in seeing all the details of how we are going to, um, to lighten our, our loadings on a daily basis. I know you guys ended up dropping a lot of cash into a wastewater treatment system. Anything you want to say about the design of that equipment? It was a really difficult decision, I think, to figure out or to decide which treatment system to go with. Um, and so I would just say, like Eric mentioned earlier, do your research and really understand your flows and how that will go through the equipment because I mean, already going through it, I feel like we could have designed our system better. Um, but I feel like part of it was that we didn't really, or I didn't really fully understand what we were, what we needed to accomplish. Um, and so I guess really think about your, like Eric mentioned the, um, your daily maxes and your instantaneous flow rates, because that will greatly affect what equipment you might end up installing and how it'll work. That was Ann Spevasek and Eric Richeson here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you'd like to check out the slides from the presentation Ann gave during the 2019 Combined Southern Cal Northern Cal District meeting, just ask the district officers to upload Ann's presentation to the Master Brewers District Presentations Archive. I'll add the district officer contact information to the show notes, or you can get there by clicking around on the districts page at mbaa.com. Check out the brand new Master Brewers podcast website. You'll find guest profiles, information about upcoming live events, and more, all at masterbrewerspodcast.com. Hurry up. There's only a few weeks left to take advantage of discounted early bird registration for the 2019 Master Brewers Conference. And be sure to tack on a couple of extra vacation days. Here's why. It's a really beautiful city. It's close. I mean, it's it's an hour from the mountains. You're in Banff, one of the most picturesque places on the planet, um, within 45 minutes if you want to venture out. And then if you go even further, about an hour further is Lake Louise and Moraine Lake, um, which is beautiful and picturesque as well. Turquoise waters, uh, brilliant crisp air, great people, great hikes if you like hiking. Uh, some of the best hikes that I've ever done have been around Lake Louise, so... Lots of people get stirred into like the touristy zones and um, there's so much more to, to Banff, Lake Louise and Calgary than the tourist zones. Uh, must-sees. Uh, I'm a huge, huge fan of 
Um, not Lake Louise itself, although it's beautiful, but Moraine Lake, which is a, a, a lake that's a little bit further up the mountain. Um, I always tell people to go visit that lake. There's some beautiful hikes. Um, Johnson Canyon's a pretty easy hike. Um, if you do the small, small hike, uh, just to a couple waterfalls, uh, that's just outside Banff. Um, if you go a bit further, you could do Ink Pots, uh, which is about, I think it's about a four or five hour hike all in all, depending on your pace. Um, and if and if you go further than the Ink Pots on that same trail, you, you end up in Lake Louise. So it's, it's linked to Lake Louise and then it becomes a full day deal. But in general, um, take in, I would say, if, if I were talking about Calgary, I would take in nature. I mean, it's at its finest. The city's beautiful, um, and and lots of lots of energy on 17th Ave and um, Electric Ave. But um, the real gem is heading to those Rockies and and driving into Canmore and Banff and Louise and 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 just looking around at at, at nature at its best. It's it's an absolutely spectacular place to be. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, White Labs, BSG, and Malt Europe. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Well, I can't get stuck, I can't be losing too much And then I'm heading out to any other place And with my mouth, my fist full of courage My heart full of rage, girl Well, I can't get stuck, I can't be losing too much And then I'm heading, I'm heading, I'm heading out to any place My, my fist full of And then I'm heading out to any other place Just my, 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 